Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Mike Vandervoort. It is Friday, finally. I've been waiting all week for this day to get here. It's Friday, September 25th, and we are in the third and final week of our month-long set of programs that we call Snackable HR. We've been doing these uh, 10 to 15-minute sessions with friends and friends and family of the Drive-Thru HR show, and we have another friend here today, Vadim Lieberman. Vadim Lieberman is the editor of ERE.net and TLNT, which many HR folks know, and also the self-proclaimed Liberace of HR. He's a workplace renegade advancing how we think, work, and live. He's previously worked as a strategy consultant to human resources and recruiting tech companies at the Star Conspiracy as a talent management professional at Prudential and as the senior editor of the conference board review, a magazine, which covers a lot of stuff related to HR. Vadim, thanks for being on drive through today. And I'm going to let you jump right into your learning moment. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thank, thank you. Thanks, Mike, for having me back on your show. I'm kind of sorry that I said nothing last time to alienate people and get me blackballed, but hey, let's see what happens this time, right? So, (laughs) yeah, um, right, yeah, so to get started, right, so given that I'm Russian and all, let me start my soliloquy here with an old proverb from my motherland. It's about two farmers, and it goes like this. So one of the farmers grew enough potatoes to power a whole wise factory for years. So clearly I'm modernizing here, right? Now, his neighbor, the other farmer, on the other hand, could barely sprout a potato to distill into a vodka shot glass. So yeah, I'm stereotyping too. Bring on the hate mail, everyone. So anyway, one day a genie comes to the unsuccessful farmer and offers to grant him a single wish, just one wish. So what do you think this poor peasant farmer asks for? Maybe a better harvest? Maybe a treasure trove of riches to retire in Crimea? Perhaps tickets to Hamilton? Well, it was actually none of those. Instead, the poor farmer says to the genie, I wish for you to destroy my neighbor's farm. So this story is actually supposed to symbolize a historic attitude among many Russians that tearing down those around you brings more satisfaction than lifting yourself up. But you know what? Russians aren't the only ones afflicted with schadenfreude. Not all that long ago, um, actually several years ago, there were a few studies that came out and they suggested why some employees go low when others achieve high. Um, One of those studies was called Victimization of High Performers, the Roles of Envy and Work Group Identification. There was another study that asked, um, the title was the question, is it better to be average? high and low performance as predictors of employee victimization. So go ahead, look those up. They're both pretty interesting. But in both of those, researchers dove into how less successful coworkers sometimes attack their more accomplished counterparts. They lie, they gossip, they undermine, they deny resources. Basically, they become Regina George from Mean Girls. And if you don't know who that is, you can look, you know, you can look her up too on YouTube. So thing is, it's not like you or I or anyone really need a bunch of papers to confirm what we already know, which is that envy mixed with an inferiority complex can cause people, and by people, I mean maybe even me, maybe even you, to mutate into total jerks sometimes. Yet at the same time, 
research showed that workers who overestimate their performance and don't get the respect they think they deserve may also conspire to undercut peers. So, for example, right, I, at one company I worked at, there was chit-chat about two senior leaders cheating on their spouses with each other. Now, look, regardless of whether that was actually true, and really it probably wasn't, I sensed that some people were wielding this rumor as a weapon. So the question becomes, how can companies promote a high-performing culture in the face of a spiteful counterculture? And one recommendation from the research is for flourishing employees to consider, and I'm going to quote the research here, or what the study said, right? It suggests downplaying their accomplishments and maintaining a humble outlook to avoid potential victimization in the future. So I don't know about you, but when I read that, I was like, wait, what? Like, are you effing kidding me? No way. I mean, that is like... It's like telling Jodie Foster that if you smile and gyrate provocatively at a bar, you've got to expect really bad things to happen at the pinball machine. And I know that's an extreme parallel, but maybe it takes an extreme parallel to highlight that telling people to downplay their accomplishments and remain humble is really nothing more than victim blaming and victim shaming, and we can do better than that. And here's how. The best thing that organizations and high performers and low performers and all other performers can do to create environments that encourage everyone to be their best is to focus on building relationships. And as I've repeated maybe like 4,762 times, who's counting, right? No one ever bonds over an Excel spreadsheet. I mean like really bonds. And so the more opportunities that colleagues have to relate to each other in personal ways, the likelier they will be to care about each other, not just as coworkers, but as humans. And when you care about people, you're less apt to screw them over. And better still, you're likelier to help them, and they are likelier to help you. But the problem is our workplaces aren't always set up to make that happen. We focus so heavily on helping people accomplish work, having better conversations with managers, removing all sorts of administrative frictions to create you know, better employee experiences, and all of that's important, by the way, but we focus all, on all of that almost exclusively that we sometimes forget that doing great work happens when you focus not on the work, but when you focus on building connections with other people in your organization. Great work will follow from great relationships. So here's how to make that happen. Seven really easy steps, right? Step one, ask your colleagues how they're doing, and not in the usual way you blurt out your question, like, hi, hello, you know, like actually ask and expect an answer. And step two, listen to the reply. And again, not in the usual way where you're just listening for someone to finish, like really listen. Now step three, okay, look, you're both now paying attention to each other. You can talk about your weekend, ta-da, like an actual conversation. Step four, ask your coworkers for help when you need it. Step five, help your coworkers when they ask you for help. And step six is actually a big one. Do not keep score, okay? It's super important. And then step seven, go to lunch with colleagues. Talk about your pets, your vacations, your yeast infections, alcohol issues, Erica Jane's new song, Real Housewives, and how about this? Do not talk about work. That's how relationships form, and by extension, great cultures. But here's an important point in all of this like, you know, I want to point out. You don't actually have to care about your colleagues to make any of this happen. You only have to initially pretend to care. Now, 
I know that flies in the face of everything we're always told about authenticity, but authenticity is a myth. I've said that also thousands of times. We don't really value authenticity. We don't really want coworkers who are authentic jerks, after all. We want people who know how to fake positive emotions. It's called having good manners and etiquette, and that's more important than authenticity. Like, just for instance, I have been in workplaces where I've inquired about my coworkers' children, for example, like, hey, how's your son doing? You mentioned he's going to college soon. How's that working out? I would ask such questions like I actually gave a shit. The truth is I hate kids. But I would ask such questions, you know, out of politeness, small talk. And here's what happened as a result. After enough times talking about my coworkers' children's, children and their lives, I stopped asking out of politeness. And notice how I didn't say I stopped asking. I just said I stopped asking out of politeness. Instead, I ended up asking because, well, now I actually did give a shit because I grew to care about these people in my life, and we formed more meaningful relationships. So what started out as a superficial relationship eventually morphed into something more meaningful. And so the point is that it's okay to form these superficial relationships at work. It's more than okay. It's pretty necessary because superficial relationships are the genesis of almost all meaningful ones at work and really elsewhere in our lives. And, you know, I'll say one more thing. It's kind of become really in vogue uh, to bash things like foosball tables and similar perks because they aren't real tools to build culture and engagement. And admittedly, I have totally been one of those haters. But I'm going to tell you right now that foosball tables can be important culture tools. Um, No, obviously, like a foosball table is not a strategy, but let's stop saying that it can't be part of one and even an important part of one. These kinds of perks are important um, opportunities for coworkers to connect, to start building those superficial relationships. And any number of similar perks would, you know, not just foosball tables, would similarly accomplish the same. Yet we continually bash these things because we somehow have fallen for the belief that great cultures form around work. And that's bullshit. Great workplaces do not form around work. They form around superficial relationships, at least initially. So that there, that's the end of my monologue. Like, I'd love to know what do you think? You know, do you agree, disagree? Want to tell me how smart I am, how stupid I am? Reach out to me on my blog, which admittedly I haven't updated since 1977 at com. <laughs> Email me at at com or just come find me at my day job, like Mike said, at ere.net and tlnt.com. So, again, thank you, Mike, for having me on your show again. Vadim, thanks for being on Drive Through HR. Um, I'll just say this um, the foosball tables or pool tables, you know, people don't get them. Most of the ones that hate them are because they're jealous that they don't have one. Um, <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway. Thanks so much for joining us today. Our uh, this is the last show of this week, and we only have three more shows to do until we hit our 1500th show anniversary date on Thursday, October 1st. Um, we have some cool stuff planned, hopefully, and maybe you'll join us there, buddy. I'm going to go ahead and end the show with a tune here, and I'll talk to you again soon. Okay. All right. Thank you. Maybe I don't get a tune. There it goes. <laughs> <laughs>